0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Sacrifice That Reconciles Friends, recorded on December second, two 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, welcome Harvest Community Church and Merry Christmas to you folks in Freeport, Indiana, Catanning, The Petroleum Valley, and those of you unfortunately in jail, we do love you too and hope you get out soon, but don't worry, Jesus visits jail. I love Christmas time. Do you love Christmas? I hope you do. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given, and as we're about to swoop into the end of the year, I want to give you a preview um, of weekend worship. Weekend worship is a great joy to me. I look forward to it. I love the weekends because of worship, and it's my job so, I don't even hate working on the weekends. Um, uh, so, I hope you enjoy worship, and I hope you can get off your job to come here and do it. So, I want to tell you, I want to map out what's in front of you because I'm excited about it, and I'd like you to share in that if that's possible. So, we're in fit, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, all right? Um, Next week is going to be a very exciting week Chapter 16 is when you have um, Saul go and find David So the great King David gets introduced to us for the first time next week You don't want to miss that I am going to miss that I will listen to the sermon But I'm going to be in Louisville, Kentucky Because um, I'm going to uh, receive a diploma or whatever they give you because uh, I've got a degree, a Doctor of Ministry in Church Revitalization from the Billy Graham School of the Southern Seminary, which is a lot of words. Uh, thank you. Thank you for clapping. I appreciate it. I think it is a great honor. And I want to thank the elders of this church and, um, who really have, they wanted me to be a little smarter than I was, I can't, apparently. And so they in- invested in me and gave me time to do it. I took a year off because a couple years ago, for those of you who are newer here, I had a, a time off for depression, and uh, yes, Christians can struggle with that, But and I took a full year off of school. I didn't take a year off here, and uh, but I went back, and we're all finished up, and I'm really excited um, to go down and, and, and be done, and I'm hope, maybe done with school for the rest of my life, but maybe, you never know, maybe in a few years, but... Young Fred Neal, the wonderful preacher and campus pastor from uh, the Petroleum Valley, will be presenting um, David's introduction to us. And he's excited about it, and I'm excited to hear it. The following week is David and Goliath. Now, it's not just a boy killing a giant. To hear more, I'll be back. Make sure you come for that. Then we're going to take a break from 1 Samuel, and we're going to have two weeks of Christmas sermons. Two, one before and one after, and don't forget um, the candlelight services at all the campuses. So one before, then one after, and then it, it's 2019 already. What, what happened to this year? <sighs> I just ha- you have to get your car inspected again, check your, your sticker, it's time. The very first weekend of the year you don't want to miss. We will, it's going to be, the subject is going to be us, um, and God's glory, and His mission. It'll come from the Bible, but we we want it to be very applicable. We'll be talking about our next initiative, um, and if you don't know what that is, you'll get more acquainted then, but we have some big, 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 big announcements on that weekend. So please, make sure you're here the first weekend of 2000 and 19. Following that, we're starting a five-week sermon series on the Bible to remind us how great a book it is and how fun it is and why we love it and why it sets our hearts on fire. And I'll be preaching three of those messages. Two of them will be Scott Rising, and we're going to go one, two, three, four, just one after another. And we'll also be kicking off a year-long um, kind of Bible quest for those to challenge. For those, of you ready to take it? For everyone at Harvest to, to read the Bible together, but also following those five weeks, on the 23rd of February, we're going to have an event for all the church called Walk Through the Bible. And if you've, ne- I don't know how many of you have ever attended a walk through the Bible event, but you will love it. And it's for every single person. It's even for kids if they're old enough to pay attention. Um, Fifth grade, fourth grade, that'll be enough probably. And Walk Through the Bible organization has top-notch communicators. They're really good. I've been to a couple of them. And what they do is teach you the story of the Old Testament. And I guarantee you, you will not be bored from minute one to the end. I think it's just a few hours. You won't be bored from beginning to, to end. And you will say, boom, there's the story of the Bible right in front of me. And it'll really help kick off this year of, of us traveling through the Bible together. So that's February 23rd. Um, there is a registration and a cost because we pay them to come do this. Um, but it's not too much. And, and if, if you don't have it, come to me and I'll pay your way, I promise. And I mean it. So... Uh, I, I'm looking forward to the end of this year. I'm looking forward to Christmas. I love Christmas. Christmas is when you get stuff. <laughs> Especially Jesus. So now, with that in mind, let me uh, jump in. Two questions on this text that you just heard read. Two questions. And this is not what the whole sermon's about, but I think these two questions jump out before before I can handle the text or talk about it. You may have 10 questions, by the way. You're always welcome to email me. We have big sections of text and we can't cover all the details, but here's one that jumps out at me. If God rejected Saul two chapters ago, why is he still using him to lead Israel? If you remember two chapters ago, God was very vexed at Saul and he said, Saul, I'm vexed at you. And you're not in charge anymore. I'm going to find someone better. But now, two chapters later, he's still here getting assignments from God. Well, just because God says, your time is over, he doesn't say when he's going to make the switcheroo and put the new leader in. And it's actually 15 years before David assumes the throne. And uh, second question that jumps out here is the text says that God regretted making Saul king, which is strange because if God can make mistakes, that's a pretty scary universe we live in. You know, some of you say, well, you should see my sister. Of course God can make mistakes. That's not nice. Don't say that. Or brother. If, if you happen to be a girl, you can say about your brother there. But God can't make mistakes. Why would he regret making Saul king? And also, the, the text says that God cannot have regrets like a man. How is that explained? Let me show you the two texts again, just to remind you. Verse 11, it said, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So he's like, I made him king. It kind of sounds like he's saying, I blew that one. You don't know Never want God or your dentist to say, I blew that one <laughs> while they're working. Then it says this in verse 29. Also, the glory of Israel, and that would be God, will not lie nor have regret. Because he's not a man that he should have regret. He's not a man who's indecisive and doesn't know what he's doing. So, it seems contradictory at face value, and also it seems problematic. So, what's the answer? Well, the answer is really. There's not a problem. It's just the understanding of how the language is used. As you know, words can be used many ways, and we're looking for the original meaning of the author. So when he says, I regret that I've made Saul, you'll see that he is, he is expressing the emotions of God in verse 11. That's how he feels. He doesn't feel. God, God has emotions. In verse 29, it refers to the certainty of God's decision-making. Right When uh, I regret that I've made Saul, he's talking about his emotional state as God. Um, But when he says, but God is not a man, that he needs to regret anything, it's talking about his decision-making. The same word is being used two ways. I want to mark this down uh, in our notes, so if you're a note-taker, here it comes, ready? God is emotional. People like to say as if it's a bad thing. Women are so emotional. First, everyone's emotional, but let's say women are more emotional than men, which I don't think is true. I think they may be more expressive. But I don't think they're more emotional. But why is it? You say it like it's a bad thing. Emotions are part of being made in the image of God. God is emotional. But he's also decisive. He never bites his nails saying, what should I do now? He, did, he knew what he was doing when he appointed Saul. He wanted Saul king even though he knew the emotions would not be good. He doesn't look back and say, there are a few things I would change if I could. All right? we do. That's often the pain of life is regrets. So forget them. You can't change yesterday. But he does look back and say, that decision I made has caused me to feel great sorrow. And this is consistent throughout the scripture. You'll see God's sorrowful, even though he's in control. God is not cold and emotionless. He cares about the people of Israel. He cares about Saul. He's sad to have to go through this with Saul. Samuel reflects God's feelings. If you look in verse 35, interesting. We're going to look at this verse twice, both briefly. Here's once. And Samuel did not see Saul again to the day of his death. But look what this says. Samuel grieved over Saul. He left him, but he didn't go... Wash my hands with that guy. I'm going on to chapter 16 and find David. It doesn't say that. He, he, he went home and he grieved. He was sorrowful. It probably didn't wear off in an hour. And then it says the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king. So we have this Samuel and the Lord's emotions are in tune. You know, when is it, is it, a, good thing to be, when's it a good thing to be sad? When God is sad. To have your heart broken by things that break God's heart, right? When's it good to be happy? When God is happy. Well, God is sad. Samuel is sad. God is not emotionally detached from people. He's a very emotional being. Fierce emotions. (laughs) Ferocious emotions. Emotions that would destroy us if they were unhinged, if you will. When we repent from our sin, what's the Bible say happens? There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. He parties. He's, he celebrates. It's not just a little celebration. He knows how to party. I mean, he's, he knows how to be happy better than we do. When people reject him, he has sorrow. He doesn't go, ah, who cares, another soul in hell, big deal. As I, the Bible says he takes no... Pleasure in the death of the wicked. So that, I just want to clear up that question in case, because it has to do with what God is like. And we never want to make God small, because he's always bigger than you think he is. He's always greater than we think he is. Okay, now let's, let's get more into the details of Saul's mess. The failures of Saul, number one, greed and pride. I put them together because they, they're kind of together. You see some fear uh, of man, in Saul here. He says, the people wanted me to do this. But you also see that he thinks he's great, and you also see greed. If if Saul had truly repented of his sins, because after he gets caught, the last time he gets caught, he says, I'm sorry, Samuel, I'll do better. You ever have a kid who always gets caught and always says, I'm sorry, I'll do better. And after a while, the authorities in his life go, I don't believe this kid. We've been through this. He talks a good game. And that's, that's Saul. If he had truly repented of his previous sins, this is your chance to fix it. God's a merciful God. Maybe you could win his favor. He's giving you a job. Go fight the Amalekites. Prove it. Instead, when God gives him this victory, he chooses to enrich himself with the animals. And for some reason, he takes a VIP prisoner. He said, well, the king and me, we're buds, man. You're a king, I'm a king, we're both kings. And I got a big-time prisoner. I caught Saddam Hussein, you know, he's with me now. He even, did you catch this? It's just thrown in. A little half of a sentence. It said, he even made a monument to himself. Verse 12, it, and it was told Samuel. Samuel shows up and says, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself how do you know you're impressed with yourself you set up a statue or something maybe you want to do that I don 't know is Saul impressed with God no Saul is impressed with Saul Saul believes he has made Israel great again and ain't he wonderful second failure is disobedience saul 's pattern since the last few chapters that we've seen him is only obey as much as you want to. I was talking with a guy last night at like three in the morning in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Don't ask. (laughs) And he said he had to divorce his wife because the woman just can't, learn to forget the past. Now, I don't know the woman, but it could be that she's an awful woman, but it could be this dude does so much wrong that this woman can't ever forget the past because he keeps doing it. I'm not trying to, to to chime in on that. But knowing I'm a religious guy, he says, now, I don't know, I might burn in hell because I did that. And so I thought, here's an opening for the gospel. So I said, wait, no one burns in hell. I said, the way out of hell is not through divorcing or not divorcing it's through the cross and, and then he looks at me and he quickly switches gears and goes because he forgives me doesn't he now he had me in a shot I'm like I don't know if he forgives you some people just want to obey as much as they want to obey and they think that's okay with God and it's not okay with God he expects partial credit doesn't he he, he, he thinks, well, I killed a lot of people, so I didn't kill the animals. Tell you what, gonna sacrifice them. Good one. It's like a husband who says to his wife, I was out of town, four women tempted me to adultery. How'd you do, honey? Resisted 75% of them. Go, guy. That's all." third failure is obvious. he lies he's telling lies now this is a hand in the cookie jar moment right when you get your hand caught in the cookie jar you lie As everyone in this room has done it at least i'm hoping you have otherwise i'm gonna feel very lonely in this room because i've done it you've done it you get your hand caught in the cookie jar You don't want to be embarrassed by your sin, so you immediately start to spin lies. It's not a good look, and it's not a good thing, and it's definitely something you better learn to discipline in your life, get out of your life, and if you lead people, it needs to not be in your life. And that's Saul. He's got his hand in the cookie jar. Samuel says, Hey, dude, what's going on here? You know, it's hard to see ourselves as wicked as Saul, but on this one, it's easy. People say, well, I'm basically good. I'm basically good. But you know, lying is evil. Well, I lie sometimes, but I'm good. I just lie. I lie, but I'm good. How do, you, how do you reconcile those? Don't really know, but I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Lies are the devil. Look at this conversation as if, just, just look at what they say. I want to read to you the conversation between the two of them. Like it's a play, right? First Saul says to Samuel, he sees him and goes, Blessed be you to the Lord. I mean, he sees Samuel and goes, Great to see you. God loves you. Like Samuel needs any flattery like this. And he goes, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel's like, well then, what is the bleeding of sheep? You're supposed to kill everything, and I hear, (laughs) (laughs) What's that? Saul goes, oh, well, they have brought them from the Amalek. They, who are they? Those people. Those people I lead. <laughs> Wasn't me. Wasn't me. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, of course. They didn't want them for their flocks. They didn't want to, you know, they just wanted, they wanted to worship with them. To sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest of course the rest we devoted to destruction. We we obeyed a little bit. I mean you know how it is Samuel you got I know he said destroy everything but you got these great fat sheep. If we dedicate them to the Lord and we had our lamb chops what a great party what a great celebration to the Lord. Sure I disobeyed him a little And finally, finally Samuel goes stop. Just stop. I think that happens in our lives. We're just spinning and spinning and spinning and acting like everything we do wrong is not wrong. And at some point, God says, Shut up! (laughs) He says, I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night or this night. And he says, Speak. And he goes, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? It's literally God saying, I took you from the gutter made you king. And look how you're behaving. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission, and he said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them till they're consumed. Didn't he say that to you? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? I don't want to hear your excuse. I had to be an alcoholic. It's in my genetics. I don't want to hear it. Of course I have to leave my wife. I'm not happy. God wouldn't want me happy, would me? Well, unhappy. He wouldn't want me in a bad marriage. I was young. I made a mistake. Stop! (laughs) These aren't jokes. If you're laughing, you're not hearing me. And maybe God's telling you, stop. Why then didn't you obey the Lord? Why then did you... Pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord if you're so good. Look at Saul, he's stubborn. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. Look, I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil. Now he has nothing to do with it. Sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. I wish I could say I never see myself in Saul. I never want to see myself in Saul. He's accused of sin, and what's he do? He twists the truth. You ever do that? This sermon is about relationships. The most important thing in your life is relationships. That's not hyperbole. That is the most important thing in your life. You are a social creature. You're made to communicate. You're made to feel. You have need of relationship. You're made by a God who is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who is forever in communication, relationship, and love, and you're made to be like him Nothing is more important in your life than relationships. Now you can be like, I am a rock, I am an island. You can laugh at that because I don't sing well. But you're not a rock, you're not an island. Twisting the truth kills relationships. We all fail sometimes, I know I do, who's with me? The worst thing we can do is double down. Stubbornly say, I didn't do it. Especially when it comes to God. So let's take a note on this. Saul wants to be let off the hook. He's damaging his relationship with both Samuel and God. Right? He's stubborn. This is his chance to fix stuff with God. He doesn't fix it, this is his chance to fix stuff with Samuel. He's getting farther away from both of them relationally. Now, Samuel and God are hurt and angry. We see the emotions of God in this chapter. We see the emotions of Samuel. They're hurt and they're angry. They like Saul, they don't hate him. That's the problem. It's the people you care about who can hurt you. But he's oblivious. Do you ever do that to other people? Do you ever do that to God? It's better to humble ourselves and admit our failures than to justify ourselves and tell lies. The reason that's worth taking notes on is because it happens every day in your life. Somewhere in your life. Maybe not daily in your life, but daily in your neighbor's life. And then in a week, it's your life, and then it's theirs, and then you do it, and someone does it to you. And what you're doing is destroying other people's love, destroying their emotions. What's the result of Saul's sin? One, God corrected things by sending a man who would do his will. If you won't do the right thing, God will find someone who will do it. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need me, and he doesn't need you. God never has help wanted, need somebody. He has no needs. He could make angelic beings that actually get everything right to do the work. Instead, he chooses Balaam's donkey. And if I won't do it, no one gets well, get somebody else. Samuel was always willing to do what God wanted. Verse 32 and 33, Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag. Let me see this guy. Bring me the king. Check this out. This is wild. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Hey, I met the king of Israel. He didn't kill me. What a great guy. Killed all his people and he doesn't care. He's like, well, I'm alive. Him and Saul are, I don't know what they're doing. Trading baseball cards. Becoming fast friends. He said, Surely the bitterness of death has passed. I got off the hook. So Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, because he's an evil person, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord. Samuel's old, right? A couple chapters ago, several chapters ago, we heard he's old. (laughs) He's getting old. My man, my man, he's old. This is my kind of old dude. He grabs hold of a sword and hacks a man to pieces. Now, don't none of you do that, okay? This is Old Testament. We don't hack people to pieces as Christians, all right? Samuel had done everything, though, that he could to have a good relationship with Saul. Now he's doing his work for him. You almost see disgust in him. I guess I got to handle this. I guess I got to handle this. It's when your mom or your dad tells you to do something and you just keep goofing around, you don't listen to them. And then finally, your mom puts her hands on her hips and goes, I guess I'm just going to have to handle this because there's only one person who's going to behave here. And then you feel this tall. That was, remember my mom was cleaning the house. Me and my brothers would leave the house just to avoid that whole feeling. <laughs> well, that's, that's Samuel. He's like, we shouldn't be going through this. I shouldn't have to do this. He gave Saul every chance to have a good relationship with him. He gave Saul every urging to have a good relationship with God. God. Something you don't think about, but it's it's in between the lines here. He's losing his friend. You ever lost a friend? It hurts. God gave Saul chances. And look at God's emotions. If you're pushing God off and thinking, I don't need him, he doesn't need me, and I'm tired of all this stuff, do you think he doesn't care? Sometimes when a person's been wrong by a friend, sometimes when you've been wrong, let's make you the good guy in this. Because it happens. And you you say, well, I'm going to seek to repair this friendship with this person who hurt me. And then your effort to repair, could be let's meet together and chat. It could be, can we work this out? Leads to the person doubling down and hurting you more. Has that ever happened to you? It's a horrible feeling. What do you do then? I really think there's only one thing to do then. Leave the door open to that relationship and then walk away. Say, if I could be your friend without you crushing me all the time, I'd be your friend. And that door's gonna be open if you ever change. It won't be because of me that we're not friends. But I can't hang out with you anymore. And you say, is that love? That is love. That's a loving thing to do. As long as you're leaving the path back. As long as you're not saying, I'll never forget what you did. And that's what Samuel's doing with Saul here. Let's turn it back to us. There's probably times, and and I'm blind to this. And you're blind to this. There are probably times when we've been stubborn, stubborn people who loved ones or friends are telling us, My friendship with you is hurting, and you won't listen to me, because we justify ourselves. Just just justify, and this happens in marriages, happens between brothers and sisters, it happens between roommates, happens between parents and kids. You you just say, but listen, you can't say anything like that to me, because I'm not that bad, We harden our hearts and demand to be loved as we are. Look, we all need friendship. You need friendship. You need lots of friendship. You need friends. You do. It's not a want. It's a need. You gotta have people in your life who just like hanging out with you because doggone it, you're you. I have lots of friends, because I like hanging out with most everybody. But you find that relationships with friends, let's say they all start at ground level, right? <laughs> and they start to move up only to the extent that the both parties can handle being known. I know this is getting relationally deep, but In reality, have you ever had a friend who you thought everything was good, then a crisis came up in his life or her life or your life, and all of a sudden the friendship couldn't handle it? Or you had a friend, you thought everything was good, and then they ran away? Why don't all friendships work? Why don't all marriages work? What divides us from people? Sin is the answer. Sin is the answer. If two people get divorced, there's a song, old song. There ain't no good guys. There ain't no bad guys. There's only you and me and we just disagree. Ooh, ooh, yeah. That's not true. If people get divorced, somebody's sinning. Normally it's two people sinning, but even if it's not two, there's a bad guy or a bad girl. That's why it happened. You know, if two roommates are fighting, it's because of sin. Well, our personalities just don't go together. Yeah, because you're impatient. (laughs) And you're an insensitive slob. And the two of you, your personalities don't go together because you let your personalities be ruled by your laziness and your lack of sympathy. And you let yours be ruled by whatever. Sure, there's people you're going to feel more drawn to. You're going to enjoy more. And that's okay. You have better friends and, you know, guys, gals you like to hang out with more. But the only reason you have a bad relationship with somebody is because of your sin or their sin or both. There's nothing else. There is no other explanation. And sin is what divides us from friendship with God. My wife's got this book for kids called Religions of the World. And I want to tell the adults in here, something we've learned through raising children, now we have grandchildren, is if you wanna learn a lot as an adult, read books designed to teach kids. Because the stuff designed for us is just boring. Ever read an encyclopedia? Put the stuff for kids, they give you pictures, they tell you everything. When we were looking through the religions of the earth, and can I tell you something about the gods of the earth that aren't the true God? None of them want a relationship with you. They're scary, strange, fake gods. Allah does not want a relationship with you. He doesn't. Vishnu does not want a friendship. Buddha doesn't want a chat. It's just, the only God who wants a friendship with you is the God of the Jews, the God of Jesus Christ. And what he doesn't want to relate to you in any other terms. In other words, if you know God, it's because he's your buddy. Period. Well, the same rules, and by the way, that's, that's true. That's just truth. I, I, I want to move on, but maybe I go back to that just to make sure we shore that up. There is no such thing as being forgiven of your sins and not being a friend of God. Well, I'll just sneak into heaven and hang out here. Hope he doesn't come near me because I get embarrassed when the big guy's around. <laughs> and you know, it works. You're either his buddy or you're not in the club. He wants humans to be his friends or nothing. Yes, they're also his adopted children, but he likes his children and he loves his children and his best friends are his children. And the only thing that comes between relationships is what? Sin. And if you're struggling with your relationship with God, do you think it's his sin or your sin? If you want a good relationship with humans, you've got to deal with your own sin. You say, well, I gotta deal with my friend's sin. You can bring that up as an issue but really you can't deal with it. Your friend has to deal with his or her sin. You can only deal with yours and hope they'll go. If you want to deal with God, you must deal with sin. So what's the lesson of this chapter? God doesn't want our religion. He wants our obedient hearts. Of course, now I have to connect obedient hearts with friendship, but that's not a hard thing. God doesn't want our religion. He wants our obedient hearts. What did Saul offer in the face of his sins? When he was confronted by Samuel, or with with sin, what did he offer? Spin. I got my hand in the cookie jar, but yesterday, Mom, I saw you eat four cookies when Daddy wasn't looking. Okay, is that anything to do with the fact that you're stealing a cookie right now? No. I just wanted cookies because... I haven't had a proper diet. I need some calories because I'm going to go out and play like you want me to. Good story. Not true. That's Samuel here. Or Saul, I mean. What he, His number one protection was religion. We stole these. We kept these animals because we were going to go to church with them. We were on our way to church with the animals. We were going to worship what? God doesn't want worship. Why wouldn't God want us Jews to worship? They're, oh, we're always killing sheep and, and goats and, and, and stuff for God, but all of a sudden, he doesn't want these sheep because he's racist. He doesn't like Amalekite sheep. This is, this is Saul's reaction. You want me to follow Christ, but you Christians are all hypocrites. I'm as good as You? I give to the United Way. I'm nice to people. God can be happy with that. I go to church. I got communion. I got confirmation. I got the Sunday School Award. Problem? Sure. I'm kicking out my wife because she won't forget bad things from the past. (laughs) But hey, he'll forgive me. I go to church. That's what Saul is doing, and the Bible says, and here's our lesson, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see, (laughs) our sacrifice won't wash sin away, will it? When God says to you, do this, why is he telling you to do this? What motivates God to tell you, do this? He wants to make your life boring. He wants you to be a Christian, so you'll stop enjoying life. <laughs> he wants you to be a, he wants you to do this because he wants to just lay you up with 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 checklists of things to memorize, words to say He's like a boring school professor who makes you do all this work, or he's like a boring, or maybe he just wants some work out of you. Why does God tell you to do this? Because he's disgusted with you and you're awful and he finally wants you to do something good. None of those are the reason. If he wants you as his friend, why would God tell you to do anything? Because it'll make you happy. That's the only reason God ever tells you to do anything. Because I just want to be happy. Good, obey God. Because he's the only one whose advice is always right. And what's his advice for? He won't let me have sex with people I'm not married to. Why? Well, because he hates me. I don't think so. I think you don't understand sex. I think you don't understand how deep a magic sex is to the human soul. I think you don't understand what a grave sin it is against God humanity against God when you do not keep it where God wants it. And I don't think you understand how glorious and good your life will be if you can control that area and do it like God says, do you? And so he's telling you what to do because he likes you. To obey, but your sacrifice won't wash away your sin. Your religion won't wash away your sin. Coming to harvest won't wash away your sin. Obeying your parents because you think God wants you to won't wash away your sin. You'll say, Well, does obedience wash away my past sins? No. Then you should say, Well, what can wash away my sins? Well, you know the song. <laughs> Nothing but the blood of I hit the wrong note. I'm so you know what? I would be a great, great music leader. I know I would. With the one problem, I cannot carry tunes long. I know that, you know, I got to chat with God about that. I I know you like me. Why can't I sing? I do sing. By the way, you bad singers out there sing. You're made to sing. You don't have to lead. No one wants to hear me sing. They might. Might cheer them up. God wants to hear you sing. You can do something animals can't. You can sing. So all you people say, well, I don't sing because my voice is bad. I don't care. I sing. My voice is bad. it's okay. Thank you. See, now that's mercy. See, that's friendship. I don't know who said that, but I appreciate the friendship. Um, God was motivated by what? To send Jesus to the cross. Now, if you're a good theologians, you'll say, by his glory. He does all things for his glory. It's absolutely true. What glo- so let, let me, for you theologians, say, why did his, does it glorify him to send Jesus to die? Let's make it harder for you. What motivates him? What motivates Jesus, God, to send his son to die for you? He, he loves you. He wants a friendship with you. He wants a friendship with you. He can't have a friendship with you because you're a sinner. So what's he going to do? He's going to take away the sin. What's it going to cost him? Everything. Will he pay that price? It depends on how much he loves you, doesn't it? And not because I'm worthy. Not because you're worthy. Jesus died to take away sin. He was the only holy man because he's God. He died to take away your sin, my sin. So that means the one person you can have a great friendship with is God. He has the absolute ability to take away the thing that gets in the way of relationships. And when he returns and you're not fighting this world, Satan, or your own old nature, you'll see what he's done. And what he's done is created friendship. But while we are in this world fighting Satan, the temptations of this world and our old nature, what does he want us to do? Trust me and obey me. Because it'll lead to what? You being happy and friendships. Horizontally and vertically. Let me show you both of these in Ephesians chapter two. Here is Paul the apostle whose name was Saul. God changed it to Paul. I can see why. Saul is really not a good name. And he's talking about how God, through Christ, has enabled Jews, who looked down on everybody back then, to be friends with Gentiles, with pagans, (laughs) through Christ. And here's how he says it, Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, That means far off from being Jews, friends of God, friends of Israel, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In your own life, if you have yet to give your life to Christ, you are far away from him. You say, well, I'll come near when I want. The only thing that can bring you near is the blood of Christ, shed for your sins. For he himself gives us peace. Did I read that right? For he himself gives us peace. Did I read that right? If he himself teaches us how to be peaceful. Did I get that? For he himself is our peace. He is his his body was the go-between between us and our sin. He is our peace who who has made us both one. And that's he's talking about horizontal relationships horizontal. We are one in Christ. We are one in our families who are Christians. We are one in our community groups. We are one in our church. We're connected. But not by the fact that we're good at not sinning, but by what? According to the text, the blood of Christ. For he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might reconcile us. Now watch this. Both to God in one body through the cross. He reconciles us to God. All right? He takes away sin. Now we can be friends of God. And then, I, I skipped it to get to the end here. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow city, citizens. You are, he connects you too. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. People say, Well, I don't got to go. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because I don't like any of them hypocrites. Okay, you're not a Christian. If you are, you're a twisted, mangled, weird, useless Christian who better go to heaven now because you're not going to do any good on this earth. A Christian gets into these relationships and works at them because they're practicing. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus died, why? Let me put it this way, to repair a relationship in crisis. Do you have any relationships in crisis with people? And you're like, you don't know how to fix it, you've tried, could have been years ago. You can't fix it. You say, well, I'm gonna go to the store and buy a tonic. It says, repair relationships today. Just sprinkle it on your enemy and drink some. Jesus died to repair a relationship in crisis, yours with him. You're the sinner, enemies with God, and he repaired it. That means, by the way, there's no place for walls that divide us from loving each other. This is why racism needs to be out. This is why at Harvest, we love having students from Pittsburgh come up, because most of us, not all of us, but most of us in our rooms are all the same color, (laughs) most of us. Now, in Indiana... We get students from there, too. It's nice. It's nice. There's no room for racism in the church of God against anybody. I remember once hearing some Christian kids not in this church making fun of Mexicans, telling Mexican jokes. And, you know, I let it go. They're kids. They're knuckleheads. Hopefully they'll grow a brain. But My grandfather's name, Manuel Jesus Rivero. I'd like to hate him, I guess, because he's a Mexican. No, I wouldn't. What we need to take away from this text is we should be working on repairing our relationships daily. And, And when you come into the church... You have the relationship skills you learned at home. And to be very honest with some people who need to hear this, you need to hear this. Some of you have horrible relationship skills because your parents didn't teach you to do manners. They didn't teach you to behave. They didn't teach you to let the other one go first. They didn't teach you to be patient. They didn't teach you not to hold grudges. And a lot of times you're hurting the most and you're the hardest ones. You'll run away from the church because relationships are more difficult for you. They make you more anxious. And you'll say, forget it. I'm not gonna be hurt. I'm gonna run away. Who needs, every one of us has said, I don't need that person. But the person who's very bad at relationships says it all the time. It's okay. It's okay to come into the church with no relationship skills. Mine were fairly poor. I had some strong ones when I became a Christian, but I had some very weak ones too. This is the place to stick around, to work through, to reconcile, to grow, to change, to learn. If you want to grow old, a happy old person, all you're doing is learning how to be a better friend. Trust me, that's it. You want a happy marriage when you're old, Realize the person you're marrying is your buddy. And work on that relationship. It won't work on itself. This is the call of Christ. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Well, None of you don't work on it. That's why we have community groups. We don't want anyone to think, well, I'm into church because I show up, I look at the back of someone's head, During the worship service, I shake hands when they make me and then I'm out of there. Nice sermon. Thanks for the song. You're not going to grow in Christ if that's it. Relationships. We start with God and we go this way. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.